This is a LibriVox recording. All the LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Natural History of Selborne by Gilbert White. Letters to Danes Barrington, numbers one to six. Letter one to the Honourable Danes Barrington, Selborne, June the thirtieth, seventeen sixty nine. Dear sir, when I was in town last month, I partly engaged that I would sometime do myself the honour to write to you on the subject of natural history, and I am the more ready to fulfil my promise because I see you are a gentleman of great candour and one that will make allowances, especially where the writer professes to be an outdoor naturalist, one that takes his observations from the subject itself and not from the writings of others. The following is a list of the summer birds of passage which I have discovered in this neighbourhood, ranged somewhat in the order in which they appear. 1. Rhineck, Rei nomina, Jinx sive torquilla, usually appears about the middle of March. Harsh note. Smallest willow wren, Regulus non cristatus, March the 23rd, chirps till September. 3. Swallow, Hirundo domestica, April the 13th. 4. Martin, Hirundo rustica, ditto. 5. Sand martin, Hirundo riparia, ditto. 6. Black cap, Atricapilla, ditto. A sweet, wild note. 7. Nightingale, Luscinia, beginning of April. 8. Cuckoo, Cuculus, middle of April. 9. Middle willow wren, Regulus non cristatus, ditto. A sweet, plaintive note. 10. White throat, Ficedulia finis, middle of April. Mean note, sings on till September. 11. Redstart, Ruticilla, ditto. More agreeable song. 12. Stone curlew, Edicnemus, end of March, loud nocturnal whistle. 13. Turtle dove, Tertua. 14. Grasshopper lark, Alorda minima locuste voce, middle of April, a small sibilous note, till the end of July. 15. Swift, Hirundo apus, about April the 27th. 16. Less reed sparrow, Passer arundinaceus minor. A sweet polyglot, but hurrying. It has the notes of many birds. 17. Landrail. Autogometra. A loud harsh note. Cricks, cricks. 18. Largest willow wren. Regulus non cristatus. Cantat voce stridula locustae. Reader's note. Sings with the strident voice of the locust. End reader's note. End of April. On the tops of high beeches. 19. Goat-sucker, or fern-owl, Caprimulgus, beginning of May, chatters by night with a singular noise. 20. Fly-catcher, Stoparola, May the 12th, a very mute bird. This is the latest summer bird of passage. This assemblage of curious and amusing birds belongs to ten several genera of the Linnaean system, and are all of the order of Passeres, save the Jinx and Cuculus, which are Piquet, and the Charadrius, Edicnemus, and Rallus, Autogometra, which are Grallae. These birds, as they stand numerically, belong to the following Linnaean genera, 1. Jinx, 2, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, 16, and 18, Motacilla, 3, 4, 5, 15, Hirundo, 8, Cuculus, 12, Charadrius, 13, Columba, 
seventeen rallus, nineteen capromulgus, fourteen alorda, twenty muscicarpa. Most soft-billed birds live on insects, and not on grain and seeds, and therefore at the end of summer they retire. But the following soft-billed birds, though insect-eaters, stay with us the year round. 1. Redbreast, Rubecula. 2. Wren, Passer troglodytes. Note, the redbreast and wren frequent houses and haunt outbuildings in the winter, eat spiders. End note. 3. Hedge-sparrow, Curuca, haunts sinks for crumbs and other sweepings. 4. White wagtail, Motocilla alba. 5. Yellow wagtail, Motocilla flava. 6. Grey wagtail, Motocilla cinerea. Note, the white wagtail, yellow wagtail, and grey wagtail frequent shallow rivulets near the spring heads, where they never freeze. Eat the Aurelii of Phrygania, the smallest birds that walk. End note. 7. Wheat ear, Enanthi. Some of these are to be seen with us the winter through. 8. Wind chat, Enanthi secunda. 9. Stone chatter, Enanthi tertia. 10. Golden crowned wren, Regulus cristatus. This is the smallest British bird, haunts the tops of tall trees, stays the winter through. A list of the winter birds of passage round this neighbourhood ranged somewhat in the order in which they appear. 1. Ring Ousel, Merula Torquata. This is a new migration which I have lately discovered about Michaelmas week, and again about the 14th of March. 2. Redwing, Turdus Iliacus, about Michaelmas. 3. Fieldfare, Turdus Pilaris, though a percher by day roosts on the ground. 4. Royston Crow, Cornix Canaria, most frequent on downs. 5. Woodcock, Scolopax, appears about Old Michaelmas. 6. Snipe, Gallinago minor, some snipes constantly breed with us. 7. Jack Snipe, Gallinago minima. 8. Woodpigeon, Enas, seldom appears till late, not in such plenty as formerly. 9. Wild Swan, Cygnus ferus, on some large waters. 10. Wild Goose, Acer ferus. 11. Wild Duck, Anas torquata minor. 12. Pochard, Anas ferrafusca. 13. Widgeon, Penelope. 14. Teal, breeds with us in Walmer Forest, Querquedula. Note. Wild duck, pochard, widgeon, and teal, on our lakes and streams. End note. 15. Grosbeak, Cockathrostes. 16. Crossbill, Loxia. 17. Silktail, Garrulus bohemicus. Note. Grosbeak, crossbill, and silk-tail are only wanderers that appear occasionally, and are not observant of any regular migration. End note. These birds, as they stand numerically, belong to the following Linnaean genera. 1, 2, and 3, Turdus, 4, Corvus, 5, 6, and 7, Scolopax, 8, Columba, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, Anas, 15, and 16, Loxia, 17, Ampalis, Birds that sing in the night are but few. Nightingale, Luscinia. In shadiest covert hid, Milton. Woodlark, Alorda, Arborea, suspended in mid-air. Less reed-sparrow, Passer arundinaceus minor, among reeds and willows. 
I should now proceed to such birds as continue to sing after midsummer, but as they are rather numerous, they would exceed the bounds of this paper. Besides, as this is now the season for remarking on that subject, I am willing to repeat my observations on some birds concerning the continuation of whose song I seem at present to have some doubt. I am, etc. Letter two to the Honourable Danes Barrington, Selborne, November the second, seventeen sixty nine. Dear sir, when I did myself the honour to write to you about the end of last June on the subject of natural history, I sent you a list of the summer birds of passage which I have observed in this neighbourhood, and also a list of the winter birds of passage. I mentioned besides those soft-billed birds that stay with us the winter through in the south of England, and those that are remarkable for singing in the night. According to my proposal, I shall now proceed to such birds, singing-birds strictly so-called, as continue in full song till after midsummer, and shall range them somewhat in the order in which they first begin to open, as the spring advances. 1. Woodlark, Ray nomina, Alorda arborea, in January, and continues to sing through all the summer and autumn. 2. Song-thrush, Turdus simpliciter dictus, in February, and on to August. Reassume their song in autumn. Wren, Passer troglodytes, all the year, hard frost excepted. 4. Redbreast, Rubecula, ditto. 5. Hedge sparrow, Curuca, early in February to July the 10th. 6. Yellowhammer, Emberitsa flava, early in February and on through July to August the 21st. 7. Skylark, a lord of Ulgaris, in February and on to October. 8. Swallow, Hirundo domestica, from April to September. 9. Blackcap, Atricapilla, beginning of April to July the 13th. 10. Titlark, Alorda Pratorum, from middle of April to July the 16th. 11. Blackbird, Merila vulgaris, sometimes in February and March, and so on to July the 23rd, reassumes in autumn. 12. Whitethroat, Ficadulce affinis, in April, and on to July the 23rd. 13. Goldfinch, Carduelis, April and through to September the 16th. 14. Greenfinch, Chloris, on to July and August the 2nd. 15. Less Reed Sparrow, Passa orundinaceus minor, May, on to beginning of July. 16. Common Linnet, Linaria vulgaris, breeds and whistles on till August, reassumes its note when they begin to congregate in October, and again early before the flock separate. Birds that cease to be in full song and are usually silent at or before midsummer. 17. Middle willow wren, Regulus non cristatus, middle of June, begins in April. 18. Red start, Ruticilla, middle of June, begins in May. 19. Chaffinch, Fringilla, beginning of June, sings first in February. 20. Nightingale, Luscinia, middle of June, sings first in April. Birds that sing for a short time and very early in the spring. 21. Missile bird, Turdus viscivorus, January the 2nd, 1770, in February, is called in Hampshire and Sussex the stormcock, because its song is supposed to forebode windy wet weather, is the largest singing bird we have. 22. Great titmouse, or ox-eye, Frengilago, in February, March, and April, reassumes for a short time in September. Birds that have somewhat of a note or song, and yet are hardly to be called singing birds. 
23. Golden-crowned wren, Regulus cristatus. Its note, as minute as its person, frequents the tops of high oaks and firs, the smallest British bird. 24. Marsh titmouse, Paris pulustris, haunts great woods, two harsh, sharp notes. 25. Small willow wren, Regulus non-cristatus, sings in March and on to September. 26. Largest ditto, ditto. Cantat voce stridula locustae, from end of April to August. 27. Grasshopper lark, Alorda minima voce locustae, chirps all night, from the middle of April to the end of July. 28. Martin, Hirundo agrestis, all the breeding time, from May to September. 29. Bullfinch, Pyrrhula. 30. Bunting, Emberitza alba, from the end of January to July. All singing birds, and those that have any pretensions to song, not only in Britain but perhaps the world through, come under the Linnaean ordo of Passeres. The above-mentioned birds, as they stand numerically, belong to the following Linnaean genera, 1, 7, 10, and 27, Alorda, 2, 11, and 21, Turdus, 3, 4, 5, 9, 12, 15, 17, 18, 20, 23, 25, and 26, Motokilla, Six and thirty Emberitza, eight and twenty-eight Hirundo, thirteen, sixteen and nineteen Pringilla, twenty and twenty-four Paris, fourteen and twenty-nine Loxia. Birds that sing as they fly are but few. Skylark, Rei nomina, Alorda vulgaris, rising, suspended and falling. Titlark, Alorda pratorum, in its descent, also sitting on trees and walking on the ground. Woodlark, Alorda arborea suspended, in hot summer nights, all night long. Blackbird, merula, sometimes from bush to bush. Whitethroat, ficedulae affinis, uses, when singing on the wing, odd jerks and gesticulations. Swallow, hirundo domestica, in soft sunny weather. Wren, passer troglodytes, sometimes from bush to bush. Birds that breed most early in these parts, raven, Corvus, hatches in February and March, Songthrush, Turdus, in March, Blackbird, Merula, in March, Rook, Cornix frugilega, builds the beginning of March, Woodlark, Alorda arborea, hatches in April, Ringdove, Palumbus torquatus, lays the beginning of April. All birds that continue in full song till after midsummer appear to me to breed more than once. Most kinds of birds seem to me to be wild and shy, somewhat in proportion to their bulk, I mean in this island, where they are much pursued and annoyed. But in Ascension Island, and many other desolate places, mariners have found fowls so unacquainted with an human figure, that they would stand still to be taken, as is the case with boobies, etc. As an example of what is advanced, I remark that the golden-crested wren, the smallest British bird, will stand unconcerned till you come within three or four yards of it, while the bustard, Otis, the largest British landfowl, does not care to admit a person within so many furlongs. I am, etc. Letter three to the Honourable Daines Barrington, Selborne, January the 15th, 1770. Dear Sir, it was no small matter of satisfaction to me to find that you were not displeased with my little Methodus of birds. If there was any merit in the sketch, it must be owing to its punctuality. For many months I carried a list in my pocket of the birds that were to be remarked, 
and as I rode or walked about my business, I noted each day the continuance or omission of each bird's song, so that I am as sure of the certainty of my facts, as a man can be, of any transaction whatsoever. I shall now proceed to answer the several queries which you put in your two obliging letters, in the best manner that I am able. Perhaps Eastwick and its environs, where you heard so very few birds, is not a woodland country, and therefore not stocked with such songsters. If you will cast your eye on my last letter, you will find that many species continued to warble after the beginning of July. The titlark and yellowhammer breed late, the latter very late, and therefore it is no wonder that they protract their song, for I lay it down as a maxim in ornithology that as long as there is any incubation going on, there is music. As to the redbreast and wren, it is well known to the most incurious observer that they whistle the year round, hard frost excepted especially the latter. It was not in my power to procure you a black-cap, or a less reed-sparrow, or sedge-bird, alive. As the first is undoubtedly, and the last as far as I can yet see, a summer bird of passage, they would require more nice and curious management in a cage than I should be able to give them. They are both distinguished songsters. The note of the former has such a wild sweetness that it always brings to my mind those lines in a song in as you like it, and tune his merry note unto the wild bird's throat. Shakespeare. The latter has a surprising variety of notes resembling the song of several other birds, but then it always has an hurrying manner, not at all to its advantage. It is, notwithstanding, a delicate polyglot. It is new to me that titlarks in cages sing in the night. Perhaps only caged birds do so. I once knew a tame redbreast in a cage that always sang as long as candles were in the room, but in their wild state no one supposes they sing in the night. I should be almost ready to doubt the fact that there are to be seen much fewer birds in July than in any former month, notwithstanding so many young are hatched daily. Sure I am that it is far otherwise with respect to the swallow tribe, which increases prodigiously as the summer advances, and I saw at the time mentioned many hundreds of young wagtails on the banks of the Cherwell, which almost covered the meadows. If the matter appears as you say in the other species, may it not be owing to the dams being engaged in incubation, while the young are concealed by the leaves? Many times have I had the curiosity to open the stomachs of woodcocks and snipes, but nothing ever occurred that helped to explain to me what their subsistence might be. All that I could ever find was a soft mucus, among which lay many pellucid small gravels. I am, etc. Letter 4 to the Honourable Danes Barrington. Selborne, February the 19th, 1770. Dear Sir, your observation that the cuckoo does not deposit its egg indiscriminately in the nest of the first bird that comes in its way, but probably looks out a nurse in some degree congenerous with whom to entrust its young, is perfectly new to me and struck me so forcibly that I naturally fell into a train of thought that led me to consider whether the fact was so, and what reason there was for it. When I came to recollect and inquire, I could not find that any cuckoo had ever been seen in these parts, except in the nest of the wagtail, the hedge-sparrow, the titlark, the white-throat, and the red-breast, all soft-billed insectivorous birds. The excellent Mr. Willoughby mentions the nest of the Palumbus, ring-dove, and of the fringilla, chaffinch, birds that subsist on acorns and grains and such hard food, but then he does not mention them as of his own knowledge, 
but says afterwards that he saw himself a wagtail feeding a cuckoo. It appears hardly possible that a soft-billed bird should subsist on the same food with the hard-billed, for the former have thin, membranaceous stomachs suited to their soft food, while the latter, the granivorous tribe, have strong muscular gizzards, which, like mills, grind by the help of small gravels and pebbles what is swallowed. This proceeding of the cuckoo, of dropping its eggs as it were by chance, is such a monstrous outrage on maternal affection, one of the first great dictates of nature, and such a violence on instinct, that had it only been related of a bird in the Brazils or Peru, it would never have merited our belief. But yet, should it further appear that this simple bird, when divested of the natural storge, reader's note, Greek, parental love and affection, end note, that seems to raise the kind in general above themselves, and inspire them with extraordinary degree of cunning and address, may be still endued with a more enlarged faculty of discerning what species are suitable and congenerous nursing-mothers for its disregarded eggs and young, and may deposit them only under their care, this would be adding wonder to wonder, and instancing in a fresh manner that the methods of providence are not subjected to any mode or rule but astonish us in new lights, and in various and changeable appearances. What was said by a very ancient and sublime writer concerning the defect of natural affection in the ostrich may be well applied to the bird we are talking of. She is hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers, because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. Job 39, verses 16 and 17. Query. Does each female cuckoo lay but one egg in a season, or does she drop several in different nests, according as opportunity offers? I am, etc. Letter 5. To the Honourable Danes Barrington. Selborne, April twelfth, 1770. Dear Sir, I heard many birds of several species sing last year after midsummer, enough to prove that the summer solstice is not the period that puts a stop to the music of the woods. The yellowhammer no doubt persists with more steadiness than any other, but the woodlark, the wren, the redbreast, the swallow, the white-throat, the goldfinch, the common linnet, are all undoubted instances of the truth of what I advance. If this severe season does not interrupt the regularity of the summer migrations, the black-cap will be here in two or three days. I wish it was in my power to procure you one of those songsters, but I am no bird-catcher, and so little used to birds in a cage, that I fear, if I had one, it would soon die for want of skill in feeding. Was your reed-sparrow, which you kept in a cage, the thick-billed reed-sparrow of the zoology, page 320, or was it the less reed-sparrow of Ray, the sedge-bird of Mr. Pennant's last publication, page 16? As to the matter of long-billed birds growing fatter in moderate frosts, I have no doubt within myself what should be the reason. The thriving at those times appears to me to arise altogether from the gentle check which the cold throws upon insensible perspiration. The case is just the same with blackbirds, etc., and farmers and warreners observe, the first, that their hogs fat more kindly at such times, and the latter, that their rabbits are never in such good case as in a gentle frost. But when frosts are severe, and of long continuance, case is soon altered, for then a want of food soon overbalances the repletion occasioned by a checked perspiration. I have observed, moreover, that some human constitutions are more inclined to plumpness in winter than in summer. 
When birds come to suffer by severe frost, I find that the first that fail and die are the red-wing fieldfares, and then the song-thrushes. You wonder, with good reason, that the hedge-sparrows, etc., can be induced to sit at all on the egg of the cuckoo, without being scandalised at the vast, disproportioned size of the suppositious egg. But the brute creation, I suppose, have very little idea of size, colour, or number. For the common hen, I know, when the fury of incubation is on her, will sit on a single shapeless stone instead of a nest full of eggs that have been withdrawn, and moreover, a hen turkey in the same circumstances would sit on in the empty nest till she perished with hunger. I think the matter might easily be determined whether a cuckoo lays one or two eggs, or more, in a season, by opening a female during the laying time. If more than one was come down out of the ovary, and advanced to a good size, doubtless then she would that spring lay more than one. I will endeavour to get a hen and to examine. Your supposition that there may be some natural obstruction in singing birds while they are mute, and that when this is removed the song recommences is new and bold, I wish you could discover some good grounds for this suspicion. I was glad you were pleased with my specimen of the caprimulgus or fern-owl. You were, I find, acquainted with the bird before. When we meet, I shall be glad to have some conversation with you concerning the proposal you make of my drawing up an account of the animals in this neighbourhood. Your partiality towards my small abilities persuades you, I fear, that I am able to do more than is in my power, for it is no small undertaking for a man unsupported and alone to begin a natural history from his own autopsia. Though there is endless room for observation in the field of nature, which is boundless, yet investigation, where a man endeavours to be sure of his facts, can make but slow progress, and all that one could collect in many years would go into a very narrow compass. Some extracts from your ingenious investigation of the difference between the present temperature of the air in Italy, etc., have fallen in my way, and gave me great satisfaction they have removed the objections that always rose in my mind whenever I came to the passages which you quote. Surely the judicious Virgil, when, when writing a didactic poem for the region of Italy, could never think of describing freezing rivers, unless such severity of weather pretty frequently occurred. P.S. Swallows appear, amidst snows and frost. Letter 6 to the Honourable Danes Barrington Selborne, May the 21st, 1770. Dear Sir, The severity and turbulence of last month so interrupted the regular progress of summer migration, that some of the birds do but just begin to show themselves, and others are apparently thinner than usual, as the white-throat, the black-cap, the red-start, the fly-catcher. I well remember that after the very severe spring in the year 1739-40, to 40, summer birds of passage were very scarce. They come probably hither with a south-east wind, or when it blows between those points, but in that unfavourable year the winds blowed the whole spring and summer through from the opposite quarters, and yet amidst all these disadvantages two swallows, as I mentioned in my last, appeared this year as early as the 11th of April, amidst frost and snow, but they withdrew again for a time. I am not pleased to find that some people seem so little satisfied with Scopoli's new publication. Note, this work he calls his Annus Primus Historico Naturalis. End note. There is room to expect great things from the hands of that man who is a good naturalist. 
and one would think that an history of the birds of so distant and southern a region as Carniola would be new and interesting. I could wish to see that work, and hope to get it sent down. Dr. Scopoli is physician to the wretches that work in the quicksilver mines of that district. When you talked of keeping a reed-sparrow and giving it seeds, I could not help wondering, because the reed-sparrow which I mentioned to you, Passer erundinaceus minor rei, is a soft-billed bird, and most probably migrates hence before winter, whereas the bird you kept, Passer torquatus rei, abides all the year, and is a thick-billed bird. I question whether the latter be much of a songster, but in this matter I want to be better informed. The former has a variety of hurrying notes, and sings all night. Some part of the song of the former, I suspect, is attributed to the latter. We have plenty of the soft-billed sort, which Mr. Pennant had entirely left out of his British Zoology, till I reminded him of his omission. See British Zoology, last published, page 16. Note, see letter 25 to Mr. Pennant. End note. I have somewhat to advance on the different manners in which different birds fly and walk, but as this is a subject that I have not enough considered, and is of such a nature as not to be contained in a small space, I shall say nothing further about it at present. No doubt the reason why the sex of birds in their first plumage is so difficult to be distinguished is, as you say, because they are not to pair and discharge their parental functions till the ensuing spring. As colours seem to be the chief external sexual distinction in many birds, these colours do not take place till sexual attachments begin to obtain, and the case is the same in quadrupeds, among whom in their younger days the sexes differ but little, but as they advance to maturity, horns and shaggy manes, beards and brawny necks, etc., etc., strongly discriminate the male from the female. We may instance still further in our own species, where a beard and stronger features are usually characteristic of the male sex, but this sexual diversity does not take place in earlier life, for a beautiful youth shall be so like a beautiful girl, that the difference shall not be discernible. Quem si puellarum insereres coro, mire segaces phaleret hospites, discrimen obscurum salutis crinibus ambigoque fultu. Horace. Reader's Note. Translation from the Latin. If you were to place him in a crowd of girls, those who did not know him, no matter how wise they are, would not be able to know him different from the others, disguised by his long hair and his boy-girl face. End note. End of letters 1 to 6 to the Honourable Daines Barrington in Gilbert White's The Natural History of Selborne.